0: Father, again, we just thank you for the privilege you've given us today to come together and to worship you and praise you and to exalt your name. I pray, Lord God, as we look into your word, that you would grant us great wisdom and understanding so that we might uh, see what you have done rightly and we might believe and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, and rely on him as we walk uh, this life, Lord God, that we would walk by faith. And so we thank you for this time. We ask you to bless it, your son's precious name. Amen. Well, there are a multitude of ministries out there. I mentioned this last week. If you did a search on the internet for ministries, you're going to get millions of hits. If you, if you, if you uh, look, narrow that down to church ministries, you're going to get even uh, almost 900,000, 800,000 hits. There are a lot of ministries out there. Now, the question is, uh, what ministries are biblical? Are they biblical? What is biblical ministry? We should know that because we are ministering. We are a church. We should know what biblical ministry is. And every believer should know what biblical ministry is so that they don't get duped by the bad guys. You should know what a biblical church looks like from God's word so that you don't go to a bad church and waste your life to Satan's delight, uh, not growing, not changing, but, you know, w- wallowing around in the same uh, uh Uh, way that you've been when you've been saved you're not growing not maturing we need to be in a church that is god's church we need to be in a church or in a ministry that is god's ministry not man's ministry you know i always kind of shrivel up and and recoil and i know some people say this in a nice way and they're not saying it in the intent that i'm saying they say oh that's greg's church i go yikes no it's not my church it's the lord's church and hopefully uh, we are being faithful to obey him in his church. You see, we're the body of Christ. Uh, believers are the body of Christ, and when we gather together, we gather as a church. And there are f- ways that the church is to function under the leadership that God has ordained. So we need to know what biblical ministry looks like. Now today we're going to see exactly that. We're going to see the second part of three parts that the Apostle Paul lays forth in the book of Colossians that show us very clearly what biblical ministry is. Now you can turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 and we're going to be looking at verses 25. We're going to finish up what we left off last week through 27. And I believe we're going to see specifically the message of ministry, what the message of any biblical ministry should be. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing these Colossians. He's under house arrest. That's about 62 AD. He has heard of their faith and their love, uh, their faith in Jesus and their love for one another. They're truly saved. And yet he has also been informed, I believe, of the threats uh, to their faith. We see in chapter 2 that there were those trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. You know, people don't delude you with dumb arguments. They delude you with persuasive arguments. And there were those trying to do so, trying to get them to trust in the ABCs of the world, the world's way to do your relationship with the Lord. And there were things that the Apostle Paul says are of no value against fleshly indulgence. He mentions a few of those. We'll get to that. Chapter 2 exposes the bad guys who were trying to spiritually kidnap believers. We'll see that word is even in there that they might be kidnapped by philosophies and the world's wisdom rather than by Christ. Not kidnapped, but but led by Christ. And so the Apostle Paul has responded. And so how has he responded? First of all, he has responded by a focus on the solution to the problem, which is Jesus Christ. And we're going to come to the pinnacle of that today. Uh, Unless the Lord takes us. And I'm so excited about what we're going to see today because it is is life-changing. It is life-changing if we are willing to listen and then willing to believe. Uh, We need to believe what God has said. We need to trust in the Lord. We need to believe what he has said. And so here we have the Apostle Paul who has shared uh, so clearly uh, his thankfulness for their faith and their love. And he has shared his desire that they would be completely controlled by the will of God. That they would, And he prayed for them, and, and we need to be controlled by God's will as, res, as revealed in his word. And then from this, he springboarded into a picture of Jesus Christ, a, a, a focus on Christ, the solution. And within that, we saw that he is the supreme Lord of the created world, because he created it all and he is also the supreme lord of his church because he brought it about through his death burial and resurrection it is this new creation that we are and that is through faith in jesus christ and that everything is so that he might have first place and he created all things for himself including us and ultimately the goal in this new in the church in which he brought about salvation through christ is to present us holy and blameless beyond reproach. Incredible, incredible. And so with that focus on Christ, Paul begins to then move in the end of the chapter to sharing his credentials in a sense in ministry, uh, not that he's probably prideful, but that we might see what genuine ministry looks like, and that will be a contrast to the false, bogus ministry that we see in chapter 2. And so he begins to share that. So let's take a look at our passage and let's read it. And I want to back up a little bit uh, into what we saw last week. Um, and even in, in uh, verse 23, in the end, we see that, uh, that he was made a minister. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I do share in behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed upon me for your behalf. And that's really where we ended. We started to just kind of trickle into the last part here. Uh, It says here that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Tremendous uh, reality. That is, and here we go. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, folks, we could just skip that little statement and lose a tremendous, invaluable truth. The truth is so valuable um, we could dismiss that. And I want to keep reading to the end here. And we proclaim Him, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man, that we might present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which works mightily, which, which mightily works within me. Tremendous passage. Tremendous passage. But we need to understand what this really means. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, they're going to teach you how to, how to, the false guys teach you how to follow God. And it's all opposite. We have Christ in us, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We have the living God in us. It was not revealed before, as we'll see. This is a tremendous passage. So then, what does authentic ministry look like? Again, we've seen that there are three pieces here that the Apostle Paul, we've seen there's three parts. We've looked at the first part, but there's three parts. First of all, authentic ministry has God's men ministering. Secondly, as we're going to see today, authentic ministry preaches God's word fully, and the message is about Christ. It's about Christ. You know, when you hear a sermon and you don't hear Christ, not just saying the word being spoken, when you hear it, you hear a sermon, you hear all this, this biblical stuff, and it's not focusing on Christ, something is wrong. The message is about Christ. And then lastly, which we'll see next week, Lord Wong, or the week after, authentic ministry uses God's method, proclaiming Christ, that every man would be uh, complete. Now, last week, you might remember, we saw that authentic ministry has God's men ministering. Uh, we see in verse uh 25 of this church paul says i was made or i became a minister and we looked at all those passages in which god gifted paul by his grace and he bestowed upon him a stewardship by his grace god brought paul into that position paul was not cruising on the road to damascus saying i think i might want to be a minister in the church that i'm persecuting I think I might want to do this. It was not at all. He was persecuted the church, and God saved him. Jesus Christ saved him and said, this is what I've appointed you to do. And we, when we get saved, he doesn't ask us, what do you want to do in the church? Like most churches have these big lists. What do you want to do? Well, what we want to do is have you do what God wants you to do. You see, God has gifted each one of us differently. And when it comes to ministers, or literally, we saw the word was servants, Uh, ministering the word of God, as we'll say, uh, God appointed them and gifted them to do so. So biblical churches don't have hirelings who have a career in ministry. Biblical churches have those that God has called and gifted to preach and teach his word. Very clear. And those who are obedient to that calling. God's ministers understand that Christ made the ministers, that he's the one that did so. He did so, and he gifted him uh, as such. Then we saw last week that God's ministers serve the body of Christ, not the world. Pastors and teachers are to shepherd the flock of God, not the world. They are to serve the body of Christ. Now, the body goes into the world and reflects the nature of Christ, the very light of Christ, his character in them. People see that, and they might glorify God for their good works that they see. They might come and get saved or get convicted, whatever it might be. Paul said, on behalf of this church, I was made a minister. On behalf of the church. It was for the church. We saw very clearly that our gifts are for the common good. First Corinthians chapter 12, First Peter 4:10. As each one has received a special gift, which would include what Paul received, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's by God's grace. Paul didn't say, "I'm a special dude and I got uh, trained here and there, and therefore I'm ready for ministry." Uh, he said, "Accounted kind of all that stuff is loss." The Lord God, by His grace, He said, it's by His grace I am what I am. Paul said it's by His grace. And so we see that. And God's ministers serve the body of Christ. Serve the body of Christ. We saw that also. When the ministers are serving the world all the time, something's wrong. Something's wrong. That's not, the, the way we minister to the world is by reflecting the character in, of Christ. And that God would open doors for the gospel. That's how we minister to the world. We do good, and the Lord uh, uses those good deeds to bring about uh, 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 possibly the door for them to ask why we have hope. Opens doors for the word of God, the gospel, as we go, as we go. Then we saw last week also that God's ministers see their suffering for Christ rightly. They see it rightly, and thus they rejoice. You see, If you don't see it rightly, you're not going to rejoice. You're just going to wallow in the suffering that has happened. But if you see it rightly, there is joy. We saw that Paul understood that the afflictions that he was receiving were meant for Christ. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Not, not meritorious sufferings. He, he finished the work on the cross, but what's filling up in his afflictions? What would be meant for Jesus if he was on this earth now? And guess what? He is through his church. And so the church suffers afflictions meant for Christ. And so Paul rejoiced in that. He rejoiced in that. And then we saw lastly that he understood he had a stewardship, God's ministers. You know, I don't see many people not understanding they have a stewardship. I don't see many people faithfully preaching the word of God. I see them sitting down on chairs and dialoguing about this and that and this and that and sharing a verse. And they share three Bible verses and the church says, that was a biblical church. Well, the reality is we're to preach the word in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. It's not simply a Bible verse littered in here and there. You've got the peddlers of the word. But God's ministers, as we see from the Apostle Paul's example, recognize they have a stewardship to fully proclaim the word of God, to proclaim it fully, not partially, not in bits and pieces, but fully. He says, of this church I was made a minister, verse 25, according to the stewardship bestowed or given from God, bestowed on me for your benefit. He was given a gifting. He was given the ability by God's grace to share the word of God. And so he had a stewardship. A stewardship is an obligation to do what God has gifted you in, to to take care of that and use that gifting. We all have a stewardship. But Paul gladly did it because he knew if he gladly did it voluntarily, there's a reward. And so here he says to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That's what ministry is about, the preaching of the word of God. And we're going to see more specifically concerning christ because it all points to him in some manner or fashion so then not all of us have pastor teaching gifts or teaching gifts but here we see that we need to understand what biblical ministry looks like so many people are yoked to such unbiblical ministries biblical ministries have god's men ministering they have god's men ministering ministering, who are gifted by God by his grace to do what he's called them to do. And that leads us to our passage today where we're going to see that authentic ministry not only has God's men ministering, but that it also preaches God's message. So simple, right? I mean, think about it. Authentic ministry preaches God's message. That's a no-brainer, right? Well, sadly enough, it's not the case. You've got charlatans out there who disguise their message as God's message, But it's not God's message, because as we've seen, God's message, and as we will see, is from the Word, and it's about Christ. That's about Christ. So then, let's look at our passage. Of this church, 25, I was made a minister according to the stewardship bestowed from God, stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is... The mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations but now has been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's probably the most important passage in Colossians. And for those of you who aren't here today, you're not here, you're missing it. This is probably the most important passage in Colossians. What an amazing passage. And we saw that the message of true ministry, first of all, is revealed in the Word of God. It's revealed in the Word of God. End of 25, that I might fully carry out the preaching of what? The Word of God. You see, Paul understood his stewardship. He understood it. We see in 1 Corinthians 4.1, he says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. You better be faithful if that's your calling. You better do it. You better do it. And again, each of us have been given different gifts, but we are to employ them in serving serving one another. But here, Paul is a steward that he might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Literally, it reads, to fulfill the word of God. Play ra'o speaks of filling or fulfilling. It speaks of the idea of filling to completion. If I fulfill my duty, I have done my duty. If I fulfill uh, the cup, it's full, right? (laughs) We fill it up, it's full. It means completing, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. You see, Paul recognized that servanthood, he calls himself a minister, servanthood, a servant is centered around the proclamation of the the word. Now, I don't want to break the bubble of ministry, people, but all ministry is centered around the proclamation of the word. Now, we're going to see there are gifts that work in concert, as we'll see, to work to bring about the word. It's not God's mercy that builds us up. It's his word that builds us up. But we need his mercy that we would see him rightly and give him right. It's not God's comfort that builds us up, but we need his comfort. You see, everything works together, as we will see. But it all is for a goal that we would be presented complete in Christ. God wants us to grow up. Just think about it. You have children. Do you want your children to stay like children forever? Oh, it's fun for six years. (laughs) After that, it starts to be going, wait a second, God wants us to grow up. That's his his desire for us. And we know from the word that it is the word of God in which he uses to bring us into a relationship with him. James chapter 118, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. James 1.21, putting aside all filthiness and all remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. 1 Peter 1.23 is really clear about regeneration. Really clear. For you have been born again. That means to be regenerated. Not of seed, which is imperishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. God's word brings about regeneration. It brings about new birth. Now, God certainly uses his word, His spirit to convict us before, and we know that. He uses his spirit to convict the unbelievers, to convict the world of, of sin and judgment, because they don't believe in him. But when it comes to salvation, he uses his word to bring us about. As we'll say, in the exercise of his will, he brought us about by the word. He chose to do that. You see we were born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and abiding word of god for all flesh is like grass and the glory of the flowers this first peter one twenty four: the glory of the flower of the grass the grass withers the flower falls off but the word of the lord abides forever and this is the word which was preached to you preached to you We know that it is through the sacred writings, the scriptures, that we gain wisdom that leads to salvation. You say, wait a second, God says, yes, he does, but he does it through a means. And that means eliminates boasting. It's through faith in Jesus Christ as revealed in the gospel. You can't get saved through your own power strength. You have to believe what Jesus did. It is the work of God, not a work of men. What shall we do that we do the works of God? Believe, Jesus said. That's God's work. But he brings it about through his word by his spirit. 2 Timothy 2.14, Peter, Paul, Paul says to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things that you've learned, been convinced of, knowing from where you've learned them, speaking about the scriptures, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom, which leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ. It's God's word that brings the wisdom that leads to salvation in fa- through faith. Paul makes it very clear that faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then the Greek. We are brought forth by the word of God. God speaks us into existence, his new creation, through his word, the gospel. And he also grows us in respect to salvation through his word. He also uses it to grow us. Very clearly, uh, God uses his word that we would be adequate, equipped for every good work. Second Timothy 3.16. He says, all scriptures, right after what I read earlier with Timothy, all scriptures is inspired by God, god brave, it's his word, not man's word, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God's word equips us for every good work that he has ordained that we would walk in. It's God's word that equips us. So we're saved by God's word. We're saved by God through his word, by the way. God saves us through his word, the word concerning Jesus. Through faith in him, we're saved, right? And we are also built up through his word. It is the word that causes us to grow in respect to salvation. After saying we were born again through the living and abiding word of God, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, he says, uh, therefore long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it in respect to salvation. You you got saved by it and God's going to grow you up. You want to grow up? Get into the word of God. Allow his word to change your heart, to direct your heart. But we're going to see that happens through the person of Christ in us. In us. We're going to see that. We know that it is the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We know that we have his precious and magnificent promises. We have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. We have his precious and magnificent promises, Second Peter two one two. We all know his word is, uh, is uh, powerful, it's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and nothing is hidden from his sight, Hebrews 4.12. We know the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. This is Psalm 19. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The, judgment of the Lord, judgments of the Lord are true, they're righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, that's God's word, thy servant has warned, him, and in keeping them there is great Reward. The Lord God would say to Isaiah, His thoughts are not, or to Israel, His thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah 55 Neither are my ways, your, neither your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For And this helps us understand why God shares this word, because we would do it our way. It's got to be defined as His way, right? Okay, for as high as the heavens are high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there for without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread for the eater, so shall my word. This is why I'm so against this philosophy of the Spirit bringing salvation. No, the word by the Spirit brings salvation. It's them together. He says, so shall my word which goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return empty to me without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent. The gospel is the power of God of salvation. The weight's not on us. It's on God. God saves. We don't save. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. We share the truth as good ambassadors. And God is the one who saves. He is the one who uses his word to break the heart, to, to break the heart of stone, to convict, and then to bring someone into the kingdom as they respond by faith. God does so. So the apostle Paul uh, shares the truth about God's word, fully proclaim the word of God. You see, the word is totally sufficient because as we will see, it reveal, reveals a totally sufficient savior, Jesus Christ, And God uses his spirit-empowered word to conform us to the image of his son, the goal of our salvation. So he says here that I might fully carry out the last portion of 25 back in our passage, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Paul recognized and proclaimed the Colossians to protect them from the bad guys, chapter 2, that all ministry is centered around the proclamation of the word of God. It is. Now, folks, as we're going to see, there are differing parts of the body that come together to bring about the proclamation of truth. We're going to see the church is the what? Pillar and support of the truth. There are supporting roles in the context of the church bringing forth God's truth, as we'll say. It's the pillar, pillar of support. It supports it. It holds it up. Think of the Great Commission, the greater mission. Um, Acts 20:28. 20, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, 2019, 28 19, excuse me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you, right? It's the Word of God. Just look at the church in Acts. I'm going to go through a bunch of passages in Acts. You could turn if you like, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The Lord Jesus says, hey, stay and pray. Don't do anything. But when the Spirit comes, you're going to receive power. Acts eight. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. You're going to receive power to share of me to be his witnesses. Just take a look at the church in Acts chapter uh, 4. Uh, remember their prayer? Remember their prayer? Their prayer wasn't about, uh, help us get out of this sticky wicket. You know, there's nothing wrong with praying that, in a sense. If you're praying the other things, the other, what else God would want you to pray, too, as we'll see. Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant thy Grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence the new church knew it was about god's word going out and then verse 31 of acts 4 and when they had prayed the place they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the holy spirit and began to what speak the word of god with boldness now acts chapter 6 reveals that there are differing gifts that support the ministry of the word Take a look at Acts chapter 6, and we will read through this portion here. Acts chapter 6. Now, at this time, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of a Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. There were genuine needs. People were being overlooked. They weren't getting food. But select among you seven good men, good, of ref- good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom that we may put in charge of this test. Obviously, they would have to direct others to do it, right? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Man, churches would be changed if the leadership would sit down and say, we're going to be focused on praying and ministering the word. And they found a statement found approval of the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and Holy Spirit, and Philip and Philip Prochorus, Nicanor, Nick- Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicolas, and a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept spreading. Kept spreading. We have it there, Acts 6, 7. The word of God kept spreading in Acts 24, 12, 24. And the word continued to grow and be multiplied. Acts 13, 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. Acts 19, 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. God's word. God's word. We know when Saul began to ravage house to house, dragging him off, then those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Acts 8, 4. So then true ministry is centered around the support and proclamation of the word of God because that's what God is doing right now. He is saving through his word and he is changing us and making us like Christ through his word. That's what he's doing. Now there are other things that work together. The body works in concert, there are differing parts. And we work together for the good of the body of Christ, for the common good for the common good. And one side note, this is uh, one of the reasons why this church won't support any ministry or missionary who in some fashion, their main focus is not proclaiming the word of God. They need to proclaim the word. There are other things that go with that. No doubt about that. And that's wonderful. But the main focus within that needs to be the proclamation of the word of God. The church is the pillar and support of of the truth. Of the truth. And the Apostle Paul said that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And he shares in Acts 20 that he was faithful to that. In his last words to the Ephesian elders, he says, He did not shrink. He said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Acts twenty twenty six, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And then he committed... These believers committed them to the word of God, to God and the word of his grace. That's all you need. You need God and the word of his grace. That's what you need. We think we need so much else. We need God and the word of his grace. So then, there's no shortcut. There's no program. There's no book. God uses his spirit-empowered word to conform us to the image of Christ, as we will see next time. And the word is totally sufficient because it reveals a totally sufficient God and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, whom we will see is in us. Wow. And let's take a look at that. Notice Paul begins to reveal the glorious content of the message. He says here that I might, end of verse 25, fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden... He says here, from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. Paul further delineates that the word of God is here. He says that is the mystery. The mystery. Now, some of you like mysteries, right? You watch mystery shows or whatever it might be. I like mysteries. But here, this word is a little different. It doesn't speak of some mystical secret or some puzzle to be figured out. The term mystery simply means something that was not known. And here it was knowledge withheld. Something that God had not revealed. He had not revealed something. It was withheld knowledge. We know the New Testament speaks of many mysteries. Of things that have not been revealed previously, but now have been revealed or are going to be revealed. In uh, 2 Thessalonians Uh, Chapter 2, verse 7, we have the mystery of lawlessness. In 1 Corinthians 15, we saw this. We have the mystery of the rapture. We call it that. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, right? We have in Revelation 17, 5 and 7, the mystery of Babylon, the woman, the harlot. We have in Revelation 11, 25, the mystery of Israel's unbelief in future salvation. We have in Ephesians 1, 9, the mystery of his will. We have in Ephesians 3, as we will see, the mystery of the church in Christ, which relates to our passage. And also later on in Colossians, we have God's mystery, which is Christ, chapter 2, that relates to what we'll see today. And in chapter 4, verse 3, we have the mystery of Christ that he was proclaiming, which relates to our passage also. So in all these mysteries, it speaks of knowledge withheld, thus undiscoverable by human means, and then God reveals it. So our text says, that is the fully preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. term ages, plural, speaks of successive periods of time. Generations speak of successive generations of people. And so then... All this to say, there is a great truth, this great truth, that has been hidden and concealed up to this point. And guess what? Throughout From all peoples and all times. But guess what? It has now been manifest to us. Amazing. We need to get this. The end of verse 26. But has now been manifested to his saints. We saw this word saints throughout this book. It speaks of believers in Jesus Christ, those who have trusted in him and received his righteousness. We are holy because of Jesus. We are saints. And it has been manifested to his saints. They are his saints. His saints, Jesus' saints. Don't confuse this word like the Catholics do. A saint is a believer. One who places faith in Christ receives forgiveness of sins and righteousness from God. We are saints because we possess the very righteousness of Christ. And by the way, God reveals his truth only to his people, by the way. Psalm 24, 4, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. He reveals these things to us, his saints. We know the world cannot understand it. It's foolishness to them. So then we have this great revealed truth. Now notice it gets explained in our passage. He says, but end of verse 27, but now has been manifest to his saints this mystery that was hidden, right? To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. This is really important. Really important. The Old Testament saints knew that the Messiah would come and bear their iniquities, Isaiah 53. But they never knew that God would actually take up residence in his people, in his people, including Gentiles. Christ in you. This had been hidden. They had relationship with the Lord, but this was hidden. Hidden. The Old Testament saints knew that some Gentiles would be saved, but they never understood that God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Wow. And what is this truth? His glorious riches in us. God willed to make known what? Notice our passage. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you. Christ in you. Here we have this statement, the riches of the glory of this mystery. The word plutos, and that's not speaking of the planet. It's in Greek, speaks of riches or wealth or abundance. It speaks of extreme value. Extreme value. He says the riches of the glory or the extreme glorious value. You think of something very valuable, extreme glorious value, the glorious riches of this truth, the mystery. It's extreme glorious value of this truth, Christ in you. Christ in you. Wow. In context with chapter 2, we're going to see we're not to let the false teachers kidnap us with the world's wisdom and ways, repackaging it religiously. But we need to recognize we've got Christ in us. Look at Christ as the very God who created everything and brought us forth, is in us and willing to live through us if you're willing to let Him. If you're willing to let Him. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We see a parallel portion here. Paul speaks of this. Parallel portion. Ephesians 3 8. To me, the very least. Of all saints, now he says that because he persecuted the church, he said he's the greatest of sinners. you think the greatest of sin is uh, transgender or homosexual that 's sin. The greatest of sin is persecuting the church right he says he 's the greatest sinner. He says to the least of the saints, uh, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ that comes from the word of God we find the unfathomable riches of Christ in God's word. It's about him. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. There's a lot more going on than you think. What a truth. The living God, the God of the universe, who created all things for himself, the one in whom was before all things, the one who holds it all together, the stream Lord of the universe, the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, God in human flesh, the one who reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, the one and only God dwelling in us. Wow. What a glorious truth. Christ in you. Christ in you. How did this happen? When we heard the gospel, repenting of our sin, placing our faith in the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, trusting in his furnished work alone, we were saved. And then God came to take up eternal residence in us by sending his spirit. Paul puts it this way. In him, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. You've got to listen to the message first. got to believe he says, You were sealed with Him in the Holy Spirit. You got the Spirit after you believed, by the way. You believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. The inheritance is, is our glorious, uh, we'll see in Romans chapter 8, being, uh, being glorified, the redemption of our bodies. He talks about that. He says it even here, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory, and all that goes with that in eternity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul reminds the Corinthians that, excuse me, chapter 6, that they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Or do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? God is in us. He's dwelling in us. That's how we grieve the Spirit when we don't act the way we should act. We don't think the way we should think. God is dwelling in us. Paul would go so far in Corinthians to say, you know, when, the, when you're joining yourself with the harlot, you're joining Christ. It's not good. He's in you. He's in you. You can read that in 1 Corinthians. Paul reveals also if you don't have the Spirit indwelling you, you are not saved. Turn to Romans chapter 8. This is an amazing thought. We've got to remember this. We need to remember this. We need to think about it. We act like we're so poor spiritually, oh, and we have the, the riches of, of, of God himself in us. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember that. It's almost like we're wallowing around and God's knocking through the word. Hey, right here, <laughs> right here, ready to help. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. However, but he's compassionate. He knows we all struggle. We know it's a fight of faith. We know that. Romans 8, 9. However, you are in the flesh... Christ in us, and so many believers go through their Christian lives ignoring this glorious truth. We can call upon his name anytime and rightfully so. We can thank him for what he's done. Uh, we can do it, we, we we need to recognize who he is and what he's done. Sadly, we're so guilty at times of ignoring this, right? We plea and we we wallow, whatever it might be. And yet one of the most glorious truths in the New Testament has been revealed. The riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. One pastor writes, this is the great mystery, the greatest truth taught in the Bible, and yet the most seriously missing element in many churches today. Most Christian in our churches understand and believe that Christ died for their sins, but most fail to go beyond that basic truth. Relatively few go on to grasp the fact that Jesus died for them, that he might live in them and through them. Many sadly fall short of grasping that it's Christ's life in them that provides the power to live the Christian life. Totally agree. Totally agree. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives In me. He lives in me. He lives in me. So will you let him live his life through you? Will you let him do so? Will you trust him that he can take care of everything? That he's big enough to do so? Will you trust him? Now notice, we have the first most obvious and direct application to this incredible truth. Christ in us. He's our living hope of glory. That means the job is going to get done. Everything we struggle with is going to get taken care of. It's all going to get taken care of. We struggle with this flesh. We struggle with our temptations. We struggle. It's going to get taken care of. He's going to assure that because he's in us. He's the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now with this in mind, it behooves us to understand to understand um, this idea of hope. Obviously, biblical hope is not like men's hope. Men just hope, I hope I'll make the bus, I hope I'll get that. There's hope is just based on their desires. But biblical hope is based on Christ and what he has promised. It's a sure hope. It's part of our faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Biblical hope is based on the sure promises of God as revealed by his Spirit in the Word. And so our text assures us That because Christ is living in us, we are assured of future glory. It's sure. There's no better assurance to the culmination of our salvation than God living in us himself. And God makes that clear, actually, through his scriptures. We see in Ephesians chapter 1 that uh, we were sealed in him when we believed. When we believed. Uh, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance, the redemption of our body. With a view of that, God gave us Himself to say He's going to finish the deal. Second Corinthians uh, five, we know that He gave us His Spirit as a pledge. It's 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 a done deal. It's a done deal. It's a guarantee. We know in Romans chapter eight that having the first fruits of our of the Spirit. Uh, we groan eagerly waiting for the adoption of his sons, the redemption of our bodies. The living Christ in us assures future glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You've got to keep that on your mind. When we get bogged down in this world and our unglorified state, we're passing through, it's coming. And God is working on us even right now. And he's willing to live his life through as if we're going to submit to God. Submit to him. So many hopeless Christians, defeated, depressed. So many hoping in the wrong thing, shattered hopes. If Christ is for this life only, hoped in him for this life, we're of all men to be pitied. It's not just for this life. We've got to see the next one also. Christ assures us of future glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that we will be holy and blameless, redeemed bodies, no sin, no more tar- sorrow, no more tears. Let's look at a couple passages and we'll finish up. Uh, let's look at um, let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. I don't have time to read it, but in contrast to those who set their mind on earthly things, revealing that they're, 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 they're on their way to destruction, they really weren't believers, that's what they set their mind on all the time, he says in verse 17 of chapter 3 of Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior. The Lord Just wait a second. savior, you already saved us. Well, he's still the savior. And he's going to save us. He's going to, who knows what he's going to do. Verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. These messed up bodies of sin that are dying, decaying will be that are perishing will be made imperishable. They will be made immortal. They will be made like Christ's glorified body, like Him in His glory. Can you believe that? I do. By the exertion of the power that He has, even to subject all things unto Himself, we eagerly await for Him to do that. He's going to do that. First John chapter three, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it is not yet appeared yet what we not appeared yet what we shall be. We're not what we are gonna be. It hasn't appeared yet. But he says there, we know that when he appears we shall be like him. Because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just to see it It's a motivation to actually walk in a godly manner. To know what he's going to make us into, what he's going to do when he glorifies us. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, and this is in the relationship to not, um, to being on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in the faith. And then he goes on, he says, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Oh, boy. He called us. Man, we are on our way to eternal glory. Wow. Wow, we got to get our heads out of this world. Right? We really do. Will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Paul, in the struggle that he was in, says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And then he goes to share the discourse in chapter 8 of Romans. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And, and later on, the Spirit bears witness that in our spirit that we're children of God. And children, heirs, Romans eight seventeen, and heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. He says, for I consider the present sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we're part of that because he says later on, the whole creation uh, groans awaiting the revelation, he says here, uh, of uh, of uh, of, uh, of uh, the sons of God. He says, for creation was subjected to futility not of its own will because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation also might be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of, of the glory of the children of God. I can't get that. I don't really understand that totally. I just know it's great. It's glorious. Christ is going to change us. Our bodies are going to be transformed, literally into conformity with his glorified body, his glorious body. We will be set free forever from sin and death. Forever. Forever. Wow. And Christ in us assures that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is our destiny. It's not destruction, but glory. It ought to motivate us to press towards that goal. It ought to motivate us to be obedient, to be imitators of those who are such like Paul and and walk like them, to trust Christ in every circumstance, to press towards that goal. Remember, we we saw in the beginning of this book, that we have hope laid up for us in heaven, right? revealed in the gospel. Are you depressed, hopeless? Your problem is you lost sight of Christ. Get in the word of God, confess your sin, get to know Christ, recognize he is in you, and then you'll have a true hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercies, constant, to be born again to a living hope for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The scriptures are about Christ. They all point to Him. To finish up, when the um, Pharisees were um, talking about eternal life, and Jesus said, Hey, you search the scriptures. Do you think in them you have eternal life? But it is these that bear witness of me Christ. It's Christ. Let me ask you do you have hope? Do you have hope? If you're not saved, you are without hope and without God in the world. Turn to Jesus, he'll save you, and you'll have a true hope, the hope of glory, because he's in you. He's going to bring it about. Maybe some of you have allowed this life your sin, whatever it might be, to obstruct your hope. If you hope for Christ in this life only, we're of those to be pitied. Confess, get your eyes back on Jesus. Christ assures us of our eternal glory. Christ in us, the hope of sure glory. So then, what does authentic ministry look like? It is God's men ministering, and it preaches God's message from his word concerning Christ, concerning Christ. Our destiny is glory, not destruction. So let's press on towards that goal. Are you willing to allow Christ who is in you to control you? Do you want only to him to possess you in a sense in a, in a righteous right way where he leads you to what is right, to control you? We need to go to him and, Lord, help me yield over to you in these circumstances. Live through me, Lord God, and how I should act and react in these situations. Help me to see you rightly. Help me to trust you. Help me to submit to you that you'd have your way in us. Within the context of what we'll see in chapter 2, we're not to let false teachers kidnap us with the world's wisdom, but we have Christ in us. That's all we need. That's all you need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth we've seen today. We've just barely scratched it, but it is glorious. The glorious riches of Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, may we remember uh, what you've shared in your word. May we allow your spirit to live through us, allow Christ to live through us, to yield our lives to him, to give over our will to the Lord who is in us. Take over, Lord. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's not saved that they might confess their sin, they might acknowledge it. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Save me, Lord Jesus. And that we would again yield ourselves to Christ. Lord Jesus, have your way in our lives. Do as you please, Lord God. May we submit to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. More about you.